0: It's much less expensive to keep a good person and keep them trained than trying to bring in a person from the outside. The students that are going into school today, these kids that are going into first and second grade, are being trained for a job that doesn't even exist yet.
1: Hey, this is Ron. And this is Roy. And welcome to another edition of Supply Change. Uh, So, Roy, uh, in our last episode, we talked a lot about the role of technology in supply chain. Today, in this episode, I'd really like to get deeper into. So what's the impact on the role of people within supply chains today? How do jobs change? Um, How are they different? Uh, What are the implications? I think it's uh, I think um, the way supply chains have managed in the past and the skill sets required are obviously changing very significantly. So let's talk about what are those changes and how quickly are they coming? So I'll toss it to you first. All right,
0: sounds good. So uh, everyone knows that change is constant. Uh, and we also know that change is faster and faster and that we have to be prepared for that level of change. But I'd like to start back on my first experience of putting in digital. I mentioned in the last session, the whole idea of electronic data interchange. Now this was one manufacturing facility at Raytheon where we're doing a billion dollars a year and we were putting in electronic data interchange so we bid out the entire bill of material got the detail so i was able to work with the mainframe i.t people and and uh with the translation software in the front end was able to send the purchase order instead of from a the mainframe bill of material to requirements to a piece of paper that would have to touch a buyer who would then call the supplier to get pricing and then get purchase orders delivered uh, we basically just assigned the supplier through com- the competitive bid process, but this was all set with the pricing and the order went from the mainframe directly to that supplier. So there was no intermediary in terms of all of the transactional work that went on with that in the past. Now, I was in my mid-20s and all of a sudden I see uh, individuals that were placing these orders in the past, not having any work uh, in front of them. So this eliminated uh, tens of thousands of transactional activity and then freed up the people to be able to do other work, uh, for the corporation. Now, in a mature organization, um, unfortunately that work, there was no additional work in a growing organization that allowed those people to find new positions, but only if they had the right skill sets. So when we were going through this process, it was dramatic to me. Uh, and it uh, opened up my eyes that whenever you put in a new technology that is going to disrupt the process flow from before and eliminate the transactional work, that you also had to have in play an HR structure, uh, a training program to be able to give people the opportunity to expand their activity or their skill sets to the new workload going forward. Now, what I learned what I tried to do was a soft landing. And what I mean by that is give the individuals a lot of advance notice, be able to explain that this job that they're doing today is is changing and the technology is going to be doing a significant portion of what they did in the past and allow them to be able to see the vision of the new organization. What does the new organization with this technology implemented look like and what are the skills that are required? Now, in that process, also, Ron, is that we we had to rewrite all of the job descriptions because our job descriptions were all about transactional activity. So, management had to have a vision. Management had to rewrite job descriptions. Those job descriptions need to call out the skill sets necessary. We were working with HR teams to be able to help train the individuals. Some were able to be able to pick up those new skills and go on to a, a much more interesting job others that did not feel comfortable in that we helped them find other jobs either in the company or in other companies as necessary but this type of transformational change that the technology delivers requires management to more than just put in the technology but to be able to drive soft landings for the the, the resources that you're
1: working with you know people like the impact that technology has had, to, had on them on an individual level so whether it's your iPhone or anything else, I think people would generally say technology has really really improved their standard of living, really added a positive element to their life versus five or or even three years ago. I think the challenge is to make sure that there's transparency within supply chains and with organizations, and you've called out HR, to make sure there's transparency and an open, and it's it's a, a basic tenet of change management, make sure there's transparency to, this is what's changing and this is why it's changing. What's interesting is the, um, the World Bank did a study earlier this year and you know, of this, this challenge that's out there and the, the notion that automation and AI and robotics are going to eliminate um, people from – and put people in the unemployment line. And the reality is what it came back and said early a couple of months ago was that it's fairly unfounded. What is happening is there's been a redeployment of people into – and I'm putting this in air quotes – higher level roles. But we're now managing data as opposed to kind of the mechanics and the tactical activities day to day. And it's changing the nature of work. It's changing what those roles look like. Um, but it's not necessarily displacing people as much as it's redeploying people. It's frankly, and it, as this uh, this uh, article called out, in many cases, higher paying roles. So um, it's, it's um, It's a fear, but I think it gets back to that change management component, which is, I think there's gotta be a dialogue. I think there's gotta be transparency in organizations so that um, these changes um, don't come as a surprise and that there's thought to what does this mean to the individual within an organization?
0: Oh, yeah. What I found is uh, when I was uh, chief procurement officer uh, at MetLife, uh, we we looked at the uh, work that was being done and the transactional activity that was there. And what I, what I understood is as we laid out the vision that placing orders is one function, but actually getting to the point where you're doing strategic sourcing, that means internally working with your internal customers, understanding their long-term view of the work, that this was a much better utilization of people's resources and time to be able to drive a better end state once I got to that level, though, I realized that's just the starting point of what a full supply chain needs to do, that we are in a world now that uh, more and more of the uh, income from the company is leading to suppliers. Uh, the president of Ford Motor Company, when he was looking at the, the Ford Mustang, was calling out that 70 percent of the value of that Mustang was coming from suppliers. Meaning the suppliers were driving the quality, the service levels, the capability, the output of of that piece of equipment. Now, of course, Ford was doing the R and D and final assembly and final test, but the suppliers were the heart and soul of that piece of equipment. I'm seeing in every industry that I've touched is the fact that suppliers are becoming a much bigger play. So therefore, the supply chain needs to have a much bigger say in this process. And to do that, the skill sets need to move from strategic sourcing into internal customer collaboration, to be able to know the customer extremely well, to understand their three-year plans and be able to drive the their goals. So you start to align your supply chain goals with your internal customer's goals, and now you're working together to a supply chain solution uh, for that internal customer.
1: Just a quick data point to close off that. So my earlier point about the World Bank study, part of that study called out that in Europe, from 1999 to 2016, technology that replaced routine work was estimated to have created 23 million incremental jobs across Europe during that time frame. So it again, it's a data point that I think gives credence to the fact that it's not replacing, it's just redeploying into potentially higher level in air quotes kind of roles. So um, yeah, and, but Ron, who who's responsible for for all this training? Is it the company uh, or the individual? Uh, it, I, look, I think it's a shared accountability. I think individuals need to understand that the roles that are going to that are going to be available to them in the future are going to require completely different skill sets. So, I think the individual has to take the impetus to incl- to increasingly um, train and learn those new skill sets to be an impactful. A member of kind of the workforce going forward.
0: It is a shared responsibility. I believe that the companies that are out there need to realize they've got to continually train their workers to be able to get to that new level. They've got to find, uh, it's easier to keep a worker and train them than to find a new worker in this activity. But it's up to the individual to say, I have to put through the extra effort. I've got to not just assume that my job will be there forever, but assume that the job will change. And therefore, they have to continually train, continually get better, make it a part of their standard operating procedure inside of their own career path so that they can uh, meet the challenges that are coming forward and be excited about this. So take advantage of those. Unfortunately, I've met some individuals that, that felt that uh, they, they weren't required to put in that time and effort. And what I'm telling them is uh, it is in your best interest to take advantage of all the training that is made available to you and then allow yourself to become that skilled person. So when the new responsibilities show up, you're there with the right skills and the right attitude to be able to continually increase your career.
1: Earlier in the discussion, we talked about the notion of change management. And I think your call out of actually being proactively training resources in your organization to be ready for those new type of roles is a critical component. I think if you're in an organization and you're making changes and you're implementing AI and robotics and it's impacting roles, I think it's it's an accountability that you have to make sure that you're also transparent about what's going on and transparent about how you're going to uh, reskill individuals within the organization. I think absolutely that's a part of the organization's accountability. I think you, you bring up a great point. The, the other point I was, you know, you I want to go back to something you talked about a minute ago, which is the notion of transparency, you know, and, and you and I had this discussion last week. I, I think there's an opportunity here as well. Um, to think of what we're doing from a supply chain perspective, transparency, and I think of synchronization, to to think about the impact that has on societal um, situations. So the example you and I talked about last week that I think is critical, um, is is enormous, is the notion of, of the food supply chain and the amount of waste that exists within that supply chain. I actually think that the work we're doing around AI, around blockchain, in technology and IoT, has the opportunity to... Um, Integrate supply chains in a way we've never done before. So here's the anecdote I'll give you. So um, as I think of the food supply chain, and know, I'll, I'll take it from you know back to front. We make it, we stockpile it, we distribute it, we stockpile it, we distribute it again to retail, we stockpile it, we do t- deliver it to a store, and we stockpile it. And the reason we do all of that stockpiling is because we don't have that line of sight of data from the point of manufacture all the to the point of consumption. I think what um, technology affords us in, in the supply chain is to build a better supply chain, very honestly, that helps manage down all of that stockpiled waste and manages away all the food that gets thrown away in the supply chain today. So I think there's a massive opportunity. And frankly, and, and to tie it back to this discussion, I think that creates a whole new realm of of types of work that exists um, within supply chain that gives back to, the, to society in, in a very big way. So it's a matter of Managing down waste, and it's also manage, uh, a factor uh, element of redeploying inventory so that the food gets to the people that need it. So I think supply chains can have a massive impact in, in making the world run better than it does today in things like the food you know, industry, where we want to make sure that food gets to um, places that it's just not getting today.
0: Uh, Well, companies, there's so much to what you just said, Ron. There are companies out there now that are taking these concepts of sustainability and and food distribution and energy distribution uh, and taking it to a new level, saying, as a supply chain, can we impact the end result of how this Uh, how we interact with the world, how we interact with climate, how do we drive sustainability? Can we do a better job of managing food supplies and water and energy to the benefit of all people and still be a profit-making organization? And it is this utilization of this uh, stream of data and the elimination of stockpiles, as you called it. Uh, These stockpiles just eat up capital. They eat up costs that, that that can't be then reutilized in other areas. So as you streamline this, which is basically the concept of, of lean manufacturing, is if you can streamline this process and therefore eliminate these stockpiles of wasted material that in many cases get thrown away, you can start to drive more value. And it's going to require uh, intelligent individuals that are trained to be able to think of this way in all new geographic areas to be able to deliver on this value. There are companies out there today that are incorporating into their RFPs the whole concept of how can they drive their carbon f- carbon footprint down uh, in in terms of driving innovative new ideas in their manufacturing process, their delivery process, their their uh, bill of material, as well as their indirect costs, so that there's less and less um, carbon, there's more and more efficiencies. That this is going to be spread out across a global platform. So the opportunities are immense the, now the, the problems that we have are also very large, but through the supply chain and through this understanding that data can deliver on these results, I see us being able to make a significant difference in any of the world problems by thinking about this as a holistic supply chain change management approach.
1: So you know, take this conversation. What uh, somewhere new here as well. So here's another observation I'd make. I'd, I'd love to get your fee- your your feedback on it. So I think that, and this is near and dear to the hearts of you and I here uh, at TradeShift. So the rise of platform marketplaces is changing the way people work uh, and the terms they work, and this this notion of the gig economy. So um, people really just need a broadband connection now to trade goods uh, and services online. So. This notion of scale without mass, uh, as I think about it, brings economic opportunity to millions of people who don't live in industrialized countries um, in a way that they never could in the past. So it's a good example of um, work is not only changing, but where we get work done is changing in a way that I think is is quite meaningful and quite different than we've ever seen before. So just interested in your, your perspective on that as well.
0: Oh, uh, the idea is connectivity. A quick little story is, uh, the United States, of course, built out uh, early on for telecommunications. They built out a wired network, huge capital investment rolling out over a long period of time, massive amount of individuals involved. But if you look at those countries that came on to the telecommunication uh, later, they didn't do that type of infrastructure because they could do it with cell towers. And then those that actually went even further were able to do it just through satellite connections. So now, now you go from a huge infrastructure effort to get uh, people to able to talk to each other on a telephone to a very minor uh, infrastructure effort, but more of a space-based infrastructure effort uh, to allow those people. So therefore, mobile phones grew at a much faster clip in other countries because that is the only device that worked and it was so simple and easy. So as time went forward, as technology changed the ability to be able to roll these platforms out uh, became significantly easier and faster. Now, in terms of the point you made on connectivity, these phones, you don't worry about when you pick up your phone and send a text message, what network the other person is on. As long as they have a mobile phone connected to a network and you have one connected to a network, you know that the communication will be there. It's unfortunate that our supply chain is not as connected. And there is still an enormous amount of the supply chain that is still stuck in paper based activity, which is just against everything we've talked about over these early sessions. It's important to realize that we need to get all of our suppliers, whether it be a thousand, 10,000, 60,000, even a hundred thousand suppliers and get them uh, connected onto a common platform on a network. And then the data can flow between the suppliers more effectively. And that will require a whole set of human resource skills to be able to drive that connectivity and then the ability to be able to utilize that connectivity effective. Uh, interestingly enough, Ron, what they were telling me was that the students that are going into school today, these kids that are going into first and second grade are being trained for a job that doesn't even exist yet. So so the the need for uh, being creative and innovative in these training programs, all the way through uh, elementary school, high school, and beyond is to create uh, minds that are open to new ideas. And then that will drive a supply chain filled with new ideas. And having a connected supply chain is is gonna dramatically change how we uh, as humans and as resources work uh, within the supply chain.
1: I heard a version of that quote uh, they just had one one additional piece. So, um, kids in kindergarten are being trained trained for jobs that don't exist. And I heard it related to to China recently. When it was, kids are being trained for jobs that don't exist to work in cities that don't exist today either. So the world is changing so quickly. Um, geographic and, and population bases are shifting so quickly. Um, the skill sets required are, sh- are shifting so quickly. It really is a changing world. And I think and I th- you know where I was going to go with this is I think it's a a competitive imper- competitive imperative for organizations to understand the implications um, that technology has on their business and supply chain. So, like you, I'm still surprised to see many industries, many businesses still operating, frankly, with 1980s technology. And the notion of EDI um, was something that I think mean, you and I knew well, you know, 20 years ago. And there are still companies in some industries not using that. So. I do think there's a competitive nature that, you know, a competitive imperative that goes along with this. And it's not just about making your supply chain better. And we, we talked about this uh, last week in London, you and I, and I think that there's also the notion that supply chain is being called out in analyst reports and in um, financial reports by companies um, every day as being the reasons organizations are doing really well or really poorly. So the notion of supply chain you know, not just improving it for supply chain's sake, but improving it because it really is the bellwether of whether your organization and your company runs well, I think is critical. So all the things we're talking, I think, really have an opportunity to make companies more competitive. And as, as, as part of that, we're working on reskilling uh, or the organization to take the roles that are going to make those comp- companies more competitive in the future.
0: Absolutely. Every uh, company. So that's the, the individual, the employee, the manager, the HR rep, the training people, the visionaries in the company have to realize that they're going to need good, very well-trained, skillful uh, staff that's going to be able to deliver on these changing requirements. And uh, as I said before, it's much less expensive to keep a good person and keep them trained than trying to bring in a person from the outside. So, it's, uh, it's not just a, a one-person show. It's literally the entire organization has to see that as an imperative to make it work. But I'm enthusiastic. I'm excited. I'm more excited now than I have been in in decades in terms of the change that's out there and the opportunity for individuals to improve their career uh, as they take a hold of these changes. So, uh, that was it was fun. Fun uh, going over this with you, Ron.
1: That was an awesome topic today, Roy. And uh, hopefully, it helped... Uh Uh, some of our listeners think about their careers and uh, what they're going to do in the future. Um, So that's great. And I look forward to chatting with you on the next topic in the next episode. All right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Roy. You've been listening to Supply Change, a trade shift podcast.